It's Friday, February 2nd. Today's WBFO brief was recorded at around 8.30 in the morning. This is WBFO News. More elected officials are calling for greater federal financial assistance in helping Buffalo in cleaning up from snowstorms. The issue is gaining traction after Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown made public the possibility of raising taxes to pay for a new approach to clearing residential streets after the recent heavy snowfalls. Brown told the Buffalo News that nearly $5 million of the $6.6 million cost of clearing the recent storm went to private contractors. Assemblymember Monica Wallace released a statement on the matter, calling on the Federal Emergency Management Agency to change its rules to help cities like Buffalo get financial aid for snow events, as is the case for other communities which receive funding and recovering from floods, hurricanes, and tornadoes. Erie County Sheriff John Garcia is joining his statewide counterparts who are calling for long-term help in providing substance abuse treatment to individuals incarcerated in county jails. Garcia co-signed a letter penned by Monroe County Sheriff Todd Baxter, who pointed out how seeking a federal waiver could provide Medicaid reimbursement for health care services offered in state and local correctional facilities. And a 27-year-old man from Little Valley faces several charges in connection with what was described as a tense, violent domestic incident. Cattaraugus County Sheriff's deputies accused Cody Curtin of violating an order of protection and assaulting a victim by, quote, knocking her teeth out. Curtin was arrested on assault criminal contempt and criminal mischief charges and remanded to Cattaraugus County Jail. A silver alert is in place this morning for a 78-year-old woman who was last seen last night in Jamestown. The Cheektowaga Police Department requested a New York State missing vulnerable adult alert for Janina Otwanowski. She's described as a white female who was wearing a tan jacket, blue turtleneck, and gray sweatpants. Those with any information on her whereabouts are asked to contact police immediately. One local federal lawmaker is reporting progress in the fight to keep the U.S. Postal Service Center in uh, in facility on William Street in Buffalo, in Buffalo. Republican Congressman Nick Langworthy issued a release praising the decision by Postal Service authorities to change the time of an upcoming public meeting on the possibility of transferring operations from the William Street facility to Rochester. Langworthy and other officials sought to change the time of the meeting to allow more families to attend, The meeting initially scheduled to start at 3 p.m. on Wednesday of this week will now take place on February 27th at 6 p.m. And over 130 small businesses throughout the city of Buffalo will soon receive funding through the Grow America Small Business Assistant Grant. Mayor Brown's office says in the coming week, the city will award close to $1.8 million for the first group of businesses. The funding comes from the city's American Rescue Plan funding, federal funding that in part addressed job loss during the COVID-19 pandemic. The WBFO Brief Podcast is made possible by Canisius University. At Canisius University, Griffs know there is no progress without action. Moved by compassion and courage, they look at the world and say, we can do better, and then do it. Canisius University, where leaders are made. His last day in Congress now behind him, Brian Higgins is looking forward to his new post as president and CEO of Shea's Performing Arts Center. Higgins shared extensive thoughts with WBFO earlier this week in his Capitol Hill office. While much of that conversation touched upon his 19 years as a federal lawmaker, he is clearly excited about his new role. Make no mistake about it. (laughs) The cultural economy, the arts economy of Buffalo and Western New York is where the future is. 
And when you look at the investment, $180 million in the Albright Knox Gunlock uh, uh, Art Museum, art, art Gallery. Uh, when you look at all of the cultural institutions of Buffalo, collectively, uh, they make up a rich offering that will draw people in as tourists. Tourism dollars, it's nearly $3 billion. Uh, it's grown exponentially uh, within the last uh, two decades, uh, primarily because we have this rich, diverse offering of cultural institution. And, and you know, many would argue, uh, including me, that the Shays is the crown jewel hmm. of Buffalo's uh, cultural community. Brian Higgins speaking earlier this week from his former office in the Rayburn Building across the street from the U.S. Capitol. A lengthy conversation touched on a number of topics, and we look forward to bringing you more of his thoughts in the coming days here on WBFO. Well, at a budget hearing on Thursday, opposition to Governor Kathy Hochul's school aid reductions united Democrats and Republicans. Lawmakers called the cuts devastating and said the changes will mean millions of dollars in losses to nearly half the school districts around the state. WBFO Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt reports. Thank you very much, Chair, and thank you, Commissioner Rosa and your staff. Lawmakers, including Democratic Senate Education Chair Shelley Mayer, questioned State Education Commissioner Betty Rosa about the impact of Hochul's budget. It would result in 337 out of around 700 school districts receiving millions of dollars less in aid in the 2024-2025 school year. In New York, the state education commissioner does not work directly for the governor, but instead answers to the state board of regents. That's chosen by the legislature. Rosa told Mayer that she, as well as the state school districts, were taken by surprise by some of the governor's proposals, including a plan to eliminate what's known as hold harmless. That policy has guaranteed that no school district receives less money than it did in the previous year. Rosa says it comes at a time when schools are already grappling with the end of millions of dollars in supplemental federal funding awarded during the pandemic. I think a lot of districts were were caught off guard, right, in knowing that we're going through that process of the uh, federal financial cliff and then having this also happen. It's really, in many ways, um, this has really created um, the kinds of distress for districts. Assemblyman Doug Smith, a Republican who represents portions of Long Island, says school districts that he represents face millions of dollars in cuts under the governor's plan to end Hold Harmless. This is devastating. You know, you're talking about hundreds of teachers potentially being laid off at a time where learning loss is a major issue and at a time where we're trying to expand programs, teach students uh, to uh, how to read properly. Rosa told lawmakers that the Education Department has been breaking down the data in Hochul's budget. She agrees that programs that were started to mitigate the effects of the pandemic, like those addressing mental health, as well as teaching jobs, would be affected if the reductions remain. Hochul also wants to change the way the rate of inflation is calculated when allocating what's known as foundation aid for schools. Instead of relying on the consumer price index, she wants to average the inflation rate for a 10-year period, then disregard the lowest and highest numbers to come to an average rate. In her budget proposal, that translates to a 2.4 percent increase instead of one that's based on the current rate of inflation, which is 3.8 percent. Senator John Liu, a Democrat, asked Rosa whether that change makes any sense. 
Is there any logic to changing from a one-year basis to a 10-year basis? Rosa answered that she does not think it makes sense. I think that's a fair statement. Meanwhile, Governor Hochul is doubling down on the proposed changes. Hochul says it's inaccurate to call the changes cuts. She says the funding is lower because she ramped up school aid by $7 billion over the past two years to comply with the court order, and schools cannot expect that every year. She says changing the school aid distribution formula and ending the halt harmless provision is simply common sense in the wake of declining enrollment in schools. 75% of schools are not getting the same funding they got last year under this hold harmless concept, which we really need to talk about that intensely, about the, uh, the logic behind having formulas that are based on a run of what population was in 2008 as if there's been no out-migration, there's been no shifting, there's not schools that have more need that the money should be allocated for. The governor says she believes if she tells the truth to New Yorkers, they will understand and support her plan. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. For Theater Talk on WBFO, I'm Anthony Chase. And I'm Peter Hall. And Anthony, you just lost a friend. Yes, and the theater world has lost a legend. Chita Rivera died this week at the age of 91. Chita, who became a star as the original Anita in West Side Story, who was the original Rosie in Bye Bye Bertie, was the original Velma Kelly in Chicago, irreplaceable and gone. And as you know, we knew her personally. We were married in her dressing rooms. She and Terrence McNally were the witnesses at our wedding. She had been to my house here in Buffalo. And in addition to being a personal friend, was a connection to the golden age of Broadway. She is the last of those triple threat stars from the golden age. So abruptly, my world feels smaller in an instant, you know. So I understand that she started out, she never thought she was going to be on Broadway. She went to Georges Balanchine. She wanted to be a ballet dancer. Yes, she had arrived from Washington, D.C., where she grew up, to audition for Balanchine and was accepted into the school. And a friend asked her to go to an audition for Call Me Madam, the national tour of Call Me Madam starring Elaine Stritch. And so Cheetah went along for moral support and Cheetah got the job her friend didn't. Oops. (laughs) So that was goodbye to La Vie de Ballet. She replaced Anna White as one of the Latin cuties and guys and dolls. And then she got her job in the chorus of Can Can. And they were looking for an understudy for Gwen Verdon another of these great Golden Age stars. And Gwen summoned Cheetah and said, Cheetah, you don't want to be anybody's understudy. You're one of a kind. You should be on the marquee. Do not audition to be my understudy. And they became fast friends and eventually did Chicago together, where Cheetah was the original Velma, Gwen was the original Roxy. Very moving this week. I've heard from a lot of people, but I got a very long and emotional message from Bianca Marroquin, one of Broadway's longest playing Roxy Hearts. She had portrayed Cheetah Rivera in the television series Fosse Verdon and had felt very close to Cheetah and by extension to us. And it was very moving to hear from her. So you just came back from New York, and I just know one of the last parts of the Broadway tour, you're all on the street, and suddenly Javier shouts, look, there's Cheetah. Everyone looks. I thought, oh, oh my God, Cheetah, because you're on 44th Street and Broadway, you know, there's Cheetah, and there was a large LED sign promoting Broadway, and there was a 12-foot image of Cheetah signing autographs. <laughs> no, alas, it was just a photo of Cheetah. Cheetah will not be on 44th Street again. So, But you were on 44th Street, so tell us about the trip. 
Well, the trip ended as brilliantly as it had begun. You know how typically on one of those trips, there's one person who's a pain in the neck? Not one person. Everybody was just wonderful. You know, the kind of trip that makes you want to do another one, you know what I mean? And the the shows were great, and we got to meet terrific people. We eventually saw Back to the Future, the musical, and boy, that car flying through time does not disappoint a beautiful noise, the Neil Diamond musical, with and Juliet, which is about what kind of play would it be if Juliet did not die? <laughs> and Harmony, the very moving musical about an internationally famous a close harmony group out of Germany that got obliterated from history by the Nazis. A timely and moving musical with a really good score by Barry Manilow. And also Kimberly Akimbo, right? We saw that first, yeah. Everyone loved that. I think that will tour. It should. Albert Nacciolino stopped by Sardi's to say hello to us. Uh, he's the presenter at Shays. So in Buffalo, you stayed in Buffalo and... Yes. So you saw Donna Hoke's version of Anne of Green Gables. I did, I did. Clever Donna Hoke. Oh. What'd she do with it? Well, she took all of the uh, the high points, all of the major plot points of Anne of Green Gables and compressed them down to an hour and 50 minutes. But very sweet. I laughed. I cried. It worked well for me, Anne of Green Gables. And then... And- Burn this, Lanford Wilson. Right. Uh, Bellissima Productions is putting it on over at the Lorna Sea Hill Theater, the home of Ujima, which is their space ever since the uh, snowstorm flood disaster last Christmas. Satisfying, but I absolutely loved Zachary Murphy as Larry, the gay roommate who, to my mind, channeled his inner Christine Baranski with one eyebrow raised for almost the entire play, oh. he just drops these lines so beautifully. Was he also able to channel his inner Marlena? It, it's me that you want, it's me that you've always wanted. Oh, right, yes. <laughs> he does that just <laughs> fine. It's an interesting play, definitely worth seeing, before it closes this weekend. Well, back to the theater. It, it is life-affirming. It's how I deal with both sad times and good times. So, back to the theater I go. For Theater Talk on WBFO... I'm Peter Hall. And I'm Anthony Chase. Don't forget to like or subscribe so you can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, leave a review too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team are made possible by our members. Thank you for listening.